Hey guys, welcome to episode five of Pan Tilt Zoom. As always, I'm joined here with my good friend Tyra Listen. Say what's up, man. How's it going, everybody? Oh, is that a new background you got there? Yes, it is. Uh, temporary still. I'm moving around posters, but this is what I got for now, so we're rocking with it. Wasn't Spy in your top ten of all time? Yes, it was in my top ten. <laughs> Thank you to the local theater for giving me the Spy poster. <laughs> Uh, hey, they put the they they gave you the tax to put it up as well. I have a new background as well. Um, new changes, always changing stuff up on this podcast, and that's always awesome. Um, before we jump into this, we have a lot of awesome stuff planned for you guys. Um, before we jump into it, though, uh, something that everyone knows has happened already, but we just want to address it here because uh, we're fans of cinema and and horror as well. Um, Wes Craven has passed away. What is your um, connection to him? Do you like him? Did you like his films? Uh, yeah, like, I, I'm first to admit I'm not a massive horror buff. Like, I have a horror film, I guess, technically in my top five films of all time with, with The Shining. But Wes Craven was an interesting individual. He definitely pushed cinema in terms of horror creation. And uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street's a very, very good film. And uh, yeah. definitely something, like, left for a legacy for him, for sure. Um, I can't really do him justice in speaking about him. You might. And there's a lot of other people who are really into his work that have been doing a great job on YouTube so far. Yeah, I, I'm not the biggest... Um buff on him like i i haven't seen every single film but um ironically i've seen some of his lesser known films i actually just saw um nightmare on elm street recently but shocker and people under the stairs are two of the most creative and just warped movies i've seen the guy was pushing boundaries he never settled with something that was just generic uh so you're definitely right he is setting a legacy and i hope horror the genre will just pay homage to him in the future to come and make some decent horror movies like he did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So before we jump into, we got, like I said, we got a lot of great stuff planned. Um, what have you watched recently? Uh, I've watched a lot uh, and I've done some marathons. If you kept up on Twitter, I did uh, a marathon of uh, the Cornetto trilogy, Edgar Wright, like all those Class. great films. Class. But uh, I'm going to talk about top five. So top five is a Chris Rock film that came out in 2014. Uh, it showed at TIFF last year. I didn't get a chance to see it. I, and I was having a hard time finding anything about it online. But it actually came up on Netflix. I believe it's the Canadian Netflix. Um, and I took a, took a gander at it. Uh, I like it. it. It's a great uh, movie. Chris Rock, Rosario uh, uh, Dawson. And it's just Kevin Hart makes a kind of a cool appearance in it as well. As well as some other ones like Adam Sandler and Whoopi Goldberg. It, it's a good film. It's funny. It's an interesting interesting film uh, i like how it was paced and how they went about the story it's not typical in any regard it's not you know you're running the mill cookie cutter comedy film he directed that right yeah he did he did that's cool he deserves that out of all of those like grown-ups you know guys uh i'm glad he's doing something good and not crappy yeah it kind of reminded me of annie hall uh the woody allen film uh and and it also had some of his stand-up comedy and it's definitely poking fun out of his life and uh, it, it, it's good that way. It's self-reflexive in that way. I want to see, I heard a lot of good things. I, like, I haven't really heard anyone like kind of bullshit that movie. So mm -hmm. definitely gonna check that out. Um, in terms of what I watched, I, one movie I watched and Tyrell, you know what this movie is, is Duel by Steven Spielberg. And I, yeah. I know whenever, like when you think of Steven Spielberg, you don't think of, uh, an early film by him. You think of Jaws maybe as the first one of his like earliest works, but, uh, Duel, if you don't know what it is, is basically a very Hitchcockian film. Um, it's almost like his homage to making a thriller a la Hitchcock. And it's about a uh, 
semi-truck that just chases this poor, innocent guy. Um, and the camera work of, if you get anything from the movie, if you don't like it, whatever, fuck you. Um, but uh, I will say the camera work is breathtaking. A lot of mounted cameras on cars, um, lots of great sound editing, barely any soundtrack, just the sounds of engines. If you have nails, they'll be gone by the end of the movie. Uh, it was awesome. Have you Have you seen it? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of Duel. Uh, I don't like. I feel like I've seen the whole thing, but at the same time, I feel like I'm missing a lot of it. So maybe I just haven't seen it recently. But it's it's an interesting film. It is Spielberg's first feature film, yeah. And a lot of people consider it like a highly underrated uh, piece, at least from him and like just cinema as a whole. Uh, and it was like supposed to be a TV film, so it, it's it's interesting in that way. And uh, it just goes to show like Spielberg did this very early on. So uh, it's kind of cool. You can see his genius even that early. So, Oh yeah. It's very inspiring. If you're a filmmaker, it just shows to show all you gotta do is close down a few roads and you can make a whole awesome movie. Exactly. Um, so that's awesome. I definitely got to check out uh, top five. Um, so with that said, let's move on to a segment. We're very, very excited to have one of our favorite YouTubers, um, Lee, who's also known as drum dumbs prolific guy he just makes tons of awesome videos so um let's jump into lee he's gonna do the op-ed piece so take it away What's up all, Drum Dumbs here, and first of all, I'd like to thank uh, Tim and Tyrell for inviting me on their program for Pan Tilt Zoom. It really is an honor. Thank you very much, guys. So what I would like to share with you is my experience with horror, what got me into horror, a little of why I am kind of obsessed, for lack of a better term, with horror. I remember my first vision of horror was when I was uh, probably like three or four years old. I was being babysat. And I remember I was asleep. My mother came to pick me up from the babysitter and I woke up to this trailer on the TV screen. And all I saw was these eyes and it looked like, like zombie eyes or something from like maybe an American werewolf in London. The eyes that, that the main character has when he's uh, having a nightmare and they're like yellow looking eyes. That's what I remember. I still remember that vision to this day, but I don't remember what the movie was to this day. I, I wish I did, but I don't. But all I remember is it scaring the crap out of me, and I remember even crying. At that moment, I, I, I was scared to death of horror movies. I didn't want anything to do with them. And then I remember it was around 10 years old. I was spending the night with one of my cousins, and we were watching Friday the 13th Part 3. And I remember I had the covers over my head pretty much 95% of the movie. But I remember my fingers were over my eyes, I parted my fingers, and I saw the scene where Jason is squeezing the guy's head and his eyeball just pops right out. And I remember that just, again, scared the crap out of me. I, I was, but I think that really got me curious. I started wondering, what is it about horror films that cause such a reaction with me more than any other type of genre? And at that point, it was pretty much just fear. But then, as I became a teenager, I started really getting interested in horror. I'd say the next seminal moment was 
when I saw Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And up to that point, I was only a casual fan of John Carpenter's original Halloween. But I remember Michael Myers had been out of the limelight since Halloween 2, so we're talking seven, eight years. So I was really curious because Michael Myers, his face, I remember it did scare me. So I went and saw Halloween 4, and this movie, it just hooked me. It, I was 15 years old, but it scared the crap out of me because of that end scene. And just a little spoiler alert here, the very end of Halloween 4, when um, Jamie comes out and she's wearing the clown mask, and you find out that she is the one that killed her stepmother or attempted to kill her stepmother. And then when you see Donald Pleasance, uh, Dr. Loomis, his reaction to her, that whole scene, oh wow, I, it really just floored me. I didn't know a movie could have that kind of reaction on me. And I remember I had nightmares about Michael Myers for at least a month after that. And that movie is really what got me completely hooked into horror and the Halloween franchise. But I still didn't have this appreciation for great directing, great storytelling. I was still just a casual movie lover. Um, I didn't dissect things like I do now. And later on, I went back and I watched John Carpenter's original. I really noticed that, wow, this was a really great movie. Not just scary, but the direction, the way he told the story, the characters, and the cinematography. It all came together in that first movie more than any other movie in the franchise. Still to this day, that is my favorite movie of all time because it just encompasses everything for me. And the original Halloween is what made me such a huge John Carpenter fan. And after I watched Halloween, I started researching all his other movies. And I just became fascinated with The Thing and Escape from New York. Just pretty much everything that John Carpenter did in the 70s and early 80s. Horror, more than any other genre, has a high, if you will. Kind of like a drug high. And I think horror fans are always searching for that high. And we've found that high time and time again with films like Alien and The Exorcist and Black Christmas. And more recently, It Follows. I saw It Follows this year and it is one of my favorites, if not the favorite movie of 2015 for me. The way that David Robert Mitchell um, incorporated music and tension and fear and all these elements into this movie. Even beauty is in It Follows. It's just, it's one of the best horror movies I've seen in probably the last 10-15 years. And I couldn't talk about horror without mentioning one of the greatest directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick. He wasn't just a great horror director, he was just a great director, period. The Shining is also such a great movie in making you feel uncomfortable and claustrophobic. That movie really just sends a chill down my spine. It is just so immersive. And it's just a testament of what a great director can do with film. So guys, thank you so much for having me on Pan Tilt Zoom. I've, I've been wanting to come on this show for a while now, and I've really enjoyed uh, giving my thoughts on horror and a little bit of my childhood to you guys. So anyway, Tim, Tyrell, thank you so much, and I appreciate it. Drum Dumb out.
All right, we're back. That was a great uh, op-ed piece there from Lee, a good friend of the show. Uh, and make sure you go check out Lee's channel. We'll have the link in the description below. So Tim and I are doing another one of our conversations. Uh, and this week we want to look at the relationship between Hollywood films and independent films. Uh, so this is a topic of much discussion uh, from both, you know, loving Hollywood and indie films alike, and you know the differences and the similarities and how things work. So right off the bat, uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see what you would define as a Hollywood film versus an indie film. So I'm just going to pose this question to you, Tim. Just right off the top of your head, when you're thinking about indie film and you're thinking about Hollywood film, what's the first thing? in terms of defining each did come in, comes into your mind? Well, for me, a Hollywood film is like a worldwide worldwide release. Uh, an indie film is one that doesn't make it to theaters. And indie films are like the ones where it's like, you may have heard of it or you may not have heard of it. Um, I will tell you right now, I'm a fan of Hollywood movies. Not that I don't like indie movies, but like I said, indie movies are kind of harder to come across. You have to really dig for them. They're also lower in production value. And Hollywood movies, obviously... Are backed by so much money and probably have a grander plan than just making good piece of film. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about Hollywood blockbusters before, and you Never know, yeah, uh, some people dislike uh, the Hollywood thing, and we were kind of just talking about it in the introduction with uh, the film Tim watched Duel Spielberg, who's probably at least today still the front runner for creating the blockbuster movement or revitalizing it in Hollywood and new Hollywood mm -hmm. with Jaws, which grossed like 471 million on a budget of 9 million and 75, which was just insane. <laughs> uh, a lot of people blame that or, you know, get really excited about that when uh, Jaws came out. Um, but when you're, when you're specifically looking at, you know, some of the criticism of Hollywood, it's, you know, you have these things like the characters are flat, the mm -hmm. plot, driven structures are the same they're hollow you know what i mean where people will be like okay uh with independent you're more authentic characters less you know plot that's preoccupied with something you've already seen there's more you know wit and charm and there's more soul because this is somebody who's crafting something out of nothing versus something that's formulaic how do you feel about that stereotype almost tim like is that fair assessment or not it's interesting because I think you point out something really interesting that's uh, indie films are tend to be a labor of love because there are lower budgets and with a lower budget, you really want to accomplish that idea that you have as a filmmaker. Um, but then when you have a bigger blockbuster movie of all these, it's like you ever done anything on a committee, you never get anything passed through because there's, you know, one stupid motherfucker has something to say about it and it changes the entire film. It, look at Fantastic Four. That's a perfect example. Um, I would love to have known what an indie version of Fantastic Four would have ended up like because it could have been really cool. Like, what do you think about, um, how do you feel about just, I know you're a fan of indie movies, so do you have this, do you think that Hollywood movies are a little bit not as genuine as like, as they should have been or? No, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, no, it, and it depends. Like you, you brought up Fantastic Four, and that's a class example of, you know, meddling in terms of the studio getting uh, involved. Spider-Man was also like the, the reboots of Spider-Man, like, and they just turn out bad. And like that's clearly because the artist tried something, and then the studio was like, no, and then it just becomes, you know, almost a clusterfuck. But uh, 
I don't know if that's necessarily a true assessment to say that like Hollywood films are soulless, uh, you know, lacking a, a sense of authenticity because we saw with something like Mad Max that brought a lot to the playing field. Even Spielberg, like people blame Spielberg for this, but the thing is like Spielberg most of the time makes good, authentic, good movies. He set the president for those formulas. He yeah. can use them effectively uh, and you can have a fun, you can have a fun time at a, a movie like that. And I have tons of funds at, uh, at blockbuster movies. Indie films are different because I feel almost like the expectations are less. So when you come out, you feel so much better about it because when you have a massive Hollywood film coming out, you know everything about it already. You know if it's going to be good or bad. Most of the time you go in, you're like, oh, this has to be good because it's backed by like $200 million. Okay, whatever. When the independent film, you go in, low budget, whatever. We'll see if we get something good. Hence, it follows. And then you come out and you're like, wow, that just completely blew it out of the water, all my expectations. Let me bring up this because I think that's, I mean, you're right. It's like there is that element of surprise. There is an element of authenticity, sin uh, sincerity, how do you feel about these blockbuster movies? Let's take let's take Hellraiser for example. Mm -hmm. um, the further you go, you don't have big name directors making those like Hellraiser six, Hellraiser seven, or I don't even know if they're if they've made that. Um, they get like indie directors to do it because it's very cheap. And does that? How do you feel about the the name of being an indie director when you get these crappy like? We just needed to make a movie to fit the budget, and we got this indie director. That kind of dampens the reputation of indie films as being good, because not all indie films are good. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, no, I, yeah, it, it's an interesting relationship because almost at that point, I feel like if you're an indie director and you really care about uh, making sure that that title or that reputation you have is upheld as like a independent director that makes good films and then go on to direct something like for example like a hellraiser six or whatever you you should kind of expect that reputation to disintegrate in a lot of ways mm -hmm. uh because you're trying to you're making indie films but that's not really what you want to do like think fincher with alien three uh that was a crappy exactly. film and and Probably not a lot of that was his fault, but then he went on to make great films, I think. But he had to take that step in order to make it to the next level. And that kind of goes in what you're saying there into this has become popular in superhero films lately because those are the big blockbuster movies. Indie film directors getting poached off to direct yeah. these bigger films, whether it's like Joss Whedon or... Uh, who, did, what, who did Selma? Uh, I forget her name. I know she's an Ava DuVernay or... Yeah, something like that. She, she didn't. Was, she's she's not the one doing it, but she was considered yeah. doing it. And like, yeah. How do you how do you think of that? Because I know you are a filmmaker yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You obviously watch indie films and you watch them as if like that could be me. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's it's inspiring to see someone do something with such a small budget and make something that's really effective. Um, how do you feel about that change? When you get to that point, mm -hmm. what are you gonna do? Well, do you want to become, do you, want, do you always want to be an indie director or do you want to eventually hang out with Colin Trevorrow? <laughs> no, you know, it's an interesting story uh, because it really, for me, it has to do with, it, it would have to be a passion thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would, if I, if it looks like a great thing and I'm getting a massive budget, sure, I'll try it out. But like, if they offered me something like, uh, you know, even Mission Impossible, say in Mission Impossible, they tried to push me to do one of those. I probably wouldn't do it because I like Mission Impossible, but that's not 
where my heart is, so I wouldn't do yeah. that. If they offered me Star Wars, I would definitely try to take a stab at it. Or if they tried to offer me, say, Harry Potter was still going on, I'd try to take a stab at it. <laughs> but those directors that balance between indie and major uh, blockbuster uh, films are the directors, I think, have it a little bit better because they're following what they want to do versus what where the money is or actors like Hall does that a lot. He'll go to a major blockbuster film, but he'll do indie art house films on the side as well, or yeah. even theater in that case. And I think that is where you want to be as a director. And that's where you want to, you know, flex your arm in terms of craft because it's two different systems working independent versus Hollywood. And I'm not going to get into that, but like that's why a lot of directors go between both because it's a completely different experience and you can try and do different things. Uh, I want to quickly, yeah, I want to quickly mention this is almost like a lesson for people if they've never thought about this, but you have a lot of films that I had a film professor that called them dependies. That's uh, films that are dependent on money, but look like independent films and I'm going to give you a second to think about somebody like that, but like the obvious answer is Wes Anderson because he makes these independent yeah. looking films that are very artsy, but are backed by major money. He's, if you look at Rushmore, which is one of his early, early success, that's technically a Disney film because the company that distributed that is owned by Disney. The money that he got for that film, at least in part was Disney money at some point down the line and has been wow. since then. So that's an interesting thing that started invading in the, in the 90s I'd say and that is really interesting that that around that's interesting that goes I mean you're basically I mean I'm not, I'm not going to go into it but you're talking about does indie have to be obscure and unknown to be indie Wes Wes Anderson makes indie films but they're some of the most popular films of all time mm-hmm. he's the most well-known indie filmmaker is he still considered indie also look at the guy who made Birdman Inarito or whatever mm-hmm. that guy that is not a low budget film that film probably cost so much money to make and it felt like an indie film so what is that really comment down below what is indie to you because i have no fucking idea yeah and when when you look at it there are certain defining characteristics but those start to blur when you start involving other things and it's also stereotyping it's also you know, various different things, but usually like you can break it down at the end of the day, an independent film is like funded independently. It is low budget. You know, you're using a lot less professional equipment, things like that versus story and character and things like that. That stuff is universal across the board in terms of whether it's, you know, Hollywood or not, you can achieve those things. But really at the end of the day, independent has to do with the financial side of it. It's in the beholder as well. It's yes. up to you. If you are Wes Anderson, you have a lot of money, you want it to feel like indie movie, that's your vision. So yeah. so let us know what you think about Hollywood versus you know studio, Hollywood productions. Where do you feel on the issue and what do you think about what we said? Yeah, and um, credit to Sandy for suggesting this awesome topic. Um, if you didn't catch him, he was in episode four, so definitely check him out So and subscribe to him. This was a great topic, so thank you. Yes. Okay, guys, we are here with um, our guest for the episode, and it's a very special guest. It's one of our close friends, and that is 
art from A to Z reviews. Um, say what's up. Introduce yourself. Let the people know who don't know who you are. Oh, well, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, I am Art from A to Z, uh, the A to Z show. It's been changing all, all a bunch. And pretty much, I'm the dude with the little pictures and the thumbnails. goes by A to Z. That's usually been the same thing around there. Uh, really honored to be here with these two really cool YouTubers, cool guys in general. Um, and yeah, just you can find me on the A to Z channel, and I'm really excited to talk to these two. So not only... Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming. Um, not only do you make really timely reviews and all this stuff, but you have something a little bit special. What is that? Well, you know, it's this, uh, the third foot, and no, I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a thing called Cineclash, which is it's a, a movie trivia show that, um, you know, after seeing uh, my good buddy Ram did a, a thing, he does a thing called Film Face-Off, and I saw him using Google Hangouts in that way, and I saw you know a bunch of other people. Ash is a good friend of mine. He does it for his monthly uh, get-together. Chase was doing it for brackets, and I'm like, you know, I, I like this idea, but I wanted to do something a little bit more with it, and uh, I decided to do a, a trivia show with it. So it's sort of like Jeopardy, but with movie questions. So it's the type of Jeopardy I like to watch. <laughs> it's great. Do you you write all of the questions and all that stuff? Like, um, I'm sure wanting to make the show is one thing, but actually doing it is a whole other thing. Like, what okay. goes into making the show? Is it time-consuming? Is it a piece of cake? Um, there's a reason I do it weekly. That's <laughs> because I don't take like throughout the week to do it. Um, I, I do get help. Um, uh, like I don't know if we get into this already, but pretty much so it's like I obviously host it and do all that stuff. Um, but my girlfriend helps me with the design of it, right? So it's like the whole template, and you know we use it there. And then I go and I come up with the questions. Obviously, coming up with a question, it's not like it's mine, you know. Like if I were to say, "What is the name of this person?" I can guarantee there's another trivia. Sh game or you know seen it or whatever that has that out there but a majority of it is the phrasing is always mine because I always want to make sure that the phrasing is correct you know I don't want to be like what is uh, the Michael Bay robot movie and then you can say any of the five because I wasn't specific you know so a lot of yeah, yeah. that is where the hard work comes in making sure that the phrasing is correct so no one can be like you know you were wrong so uh, that's like the biggest issue for me um, and then it's just trying to format it correctly, get the, the pictures, because I know that's like one of the coolest things for us movie fans. We like visuals, so it's trying to find the, those pictures that can make it challenging, but also having those questions that are challenging that are not too difficult. Like, what was the third release on Netflix last week? No one, it's hard, <laughs> but no one cares, you know? You want to yeah. have those questions that are borderline entertaining, but then also difficult, not going like, ah, oh, man. Right. Now, You've been doing this for a while. Uh, how do you go about making sure the show stays fresh weekly? Uh, well, one of the things that I do is I like getting new people. Like, there's always three people, and um, it's always cool to have like my close friends, and they're always there. Uh, my close friends, I mean, like the internet friends that I've never met, but I consider them family as well. <laughs> um, always contacting them and knowing that they can always fill in a spot. But I like reaching out to other people, and it's never a thing sort of like, oh, I got to reach out to whoever has more subscribers. It's it's I look out and I see who's a movie fan and regardless of you having 5,000 subscribers or like 20 subscribers if I see you have a passion I would love to have you on the show so it's that variety of seeing how different people view movies and being able to have a different take by having different contestants uh, question wise in order for me to not always have like mobster films as like a category um, I like going by the, the newest releases so let's say um, this upcoming week we have like transporters, so action films may be one, or Jason Statham films, so it'll always switch up for me since there's always different stuff that are coming out. 
I thought one of the coolest things that you did was on the last episode uh, of the. If you if you guys don't know, he's held a summer tournament that went splendid. Uh, it was really fun to watch. But on the last episode, instead of doing like all these different categories based on what's going on, he took uh, art took all of like by decades. So it started with like before time or like before mm-hmm. before film, and then up until now. Which I I mean, I'm I feel bad for uh, Leanna. Who is, he, who is the other guy? Oh, Brian Lomax, the winner. Yeah, I feel bad for, for Lee and Brian. They both had to, that was like an unexpected yeah. uh thing. Yeah, I made sure I told nobody. I always had that idea, like I want to do something where it just goes through everything. So it's not just a quotes category or anything like that, but defined by decades. And I'm like, I'll wait for, the, for when I have my tournament, the <laughs> final two, to see which one truly is the uh, master of cinema knowledge. Oh, they, they had it out. <laughs> yeah, and congrats to Brian. That was a job oh, yeah. well done. Now, in terms of uh, you, you've completed the summer tournament, you've been going regularly with the show, what's next in terms of some grand idea do you have? Do you have another tournament planned? Do you have some new way to integrate things? What's next? Well, um, uh, it was in spring when I started it off, and it was like difficult because you know, it was just me... Um, going about it and you know testing out all the glitches and stuff like that as we all of us youtubers know there's stuff uh, that are that's out of your control and also being like a one-man band right I've been trying to make it better every episode try to be better um, in the way that it looks so season one was like 11 episodes and where I just tried to understanding how the thing worked on my own being able to control it all um, then the summer tournament that was like my next step I wanted to be able to bring people inside of a tournament to see them compete and have that sort of like energy to it where it's like you know it's not just I mean it was for fun but there was a prize at the end so it was cool to see that um, and I had incorporated music that round in, in a new style and you know it was sort of like a, a monkey type of thing and where I was like trying to keep score with the music with and all that third stuff. And foot, right? Yeah exactly uh, but the more you grow obviously you get more people but I'm not at that stage yet but I still want to try to do as much as possible so after that tournament um, obviously season two is what I'm starting up in the fall and now that I brought music into it, I want to continue using the music. I want to continue finding ways to, to make it look better, you know, like add production value to it. And uh, in far, as far as tournaments go, I want to have a winter one. But I want to make sure that the winter and the summer one are, like, different from each other. Like, the summer is, is like, the big one. It's that summer tournament where people come in and there's a prize, right? But the winter one, I want it to be not so much like the seasons where, you know, people just come in, have fun, play some trivia. and mm-hmm. It's not like it's going on the permanent record. But the winter one, I just want it to be like a recap of the year. So the winter one is specifically going back and looking at 2015 and the movies and see how much people actually saw and have that be more of a fun tournament, you know, than Destiny Clash in the spring. And then that summer tournament be the one that actually, you know, I guess is the one that people want to get the fictional digital belt for. <laughs> That's really challenging because if you're like a classic movie fan, you're pretty much fucked for uh, <laughs> recent movies. Um, and so, just so that our viewers understand how much effort goes into this, first of all, your show is live, and what do you what do you do it on? Well, the thing is, um, I was blessed. My brother helped me, and my aunts, and my mom. Uh, I got a MacBook, and I got a PC. Right now, the PC is a touchscreen, so the setup would be: you know, I wake up like probably Monday morning. And I decide, oh shoot, I got Cineclash in like two days. So then I, I go about my day, then I wake up Tuesday morning and I go, wait, I did nothing yesterday. Uh, so it's usually Tuesday where I've thought about the stuff for the week and I go and I get the format. Um, and it, it's on PowerPoint. 
That's all it is. It's on PowerPoint as little as possible. I do all the questions there. So when it comes to the day, hopefully no one's dropped out on me. All three are ready to go. You know, I do the thing on Google Hangouts. I invite everybody. Everybody comes in. We're all chilling there. And I can see them and I can control them through the bottom, who people see and making sure, you know, the questions is obviously going to be the big thing because I love, uh, since it's live, for people to follow along in the chat. Obviously, the three contestants can't see that, um, but, you know, people on the chat, if they're listening live, they get to be a part of it as well. And it's always cool to yeah. see the bragging rights that people have, like, hi, I was better than all of you, and I was even better than the people <laughs> who were on. But on my end, it's once I go live, I have two computers. It's my Mac, which where, which is where I'm controlling what the people see, clicking on, all right, now, Tyrell, say hi to everybody. All right, um, Tim, say hi to everybody. On my other computer is where I'm clicking the button to go on to the next one, and it's touchscreen, so that's easier. However, that's also where I have to keep score. And not only am I keeping score, but if someone uses the clue, I also have to remember. I also have to keep time while they're guessing because I have to count down. I also have the chat that I'm looking at. I have our internal chat that I'm looking at, and I have the audio for the music that's coming up and down. And that's not to mention when whenever there's glitches and I have to go back and look at it or someone's audio is not working. There's all these things. But as long as the people are looking at it or just going, oh, it's okay, it's running smoothly, then I'm doing my job. Dude, right. You're, you're a beast. Thank beast. You. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I made this joke earlier. You're, you're kind of like the, the one alien in Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, they got it all. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Well, so if you guys haven't seen Cineclash, basically uh, watch it. There's All the episodes are already there. It's not like they're, they're live and then they're gone forever. Um, they're fun to listen to, they're fun to watch, they're fun to play along with, so look forward to um, Cineclash coming up for Season 2, as well as the Winter Tournament. Um, Art, thank you so much for being on. I really hope people realize how much work goes into your show. Um, so, do you got anything else to say? Say it. Oh, just uh, definitely check out the channel. It's uh, I know a lot of people, they come and they're like, I don't want to know about your reviews. I just want to see the, the trivia game. So it's finally coming back. I had that month hiatus after July, which was jam-packed. But it's going to come back to a weekly schedule. So every Wednesday, uh, follow, on, follow me on Twitter or on Facebook. That's usually where I'll say what the times are. Because another thing, a big factor is um, people's times. But it's always on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. The time is always posted on Twitter or Facebook. And weekly, you'll be able to... Test your movie knowledge and see how much you know. But yeah, awesome. thank you guys for having me on as well. These two are definitely awesome. Check out their personal channels and Pentil do continue watching their stuff there because it's really legit stuff. Thank, thank you, Art. Thank uh, you. Yeah, very much appreciated. So we'll link uh, Art's stuff in the description below, and we're going to be moving on now. All right, everybody, we've come to the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed what we had in store with the Lee op-ed piece and our our interview with Art. It was a great episode. We had fun. Remember, you can find us on social media. So if you want to hang out with us on Twitter, you can do that at twitter.com slash show. That's the best way to find us, as well as you can find us on our personal Twitters and YouTubes, and that's at... Uh, youtube.com slash Tyrell or sorry listen official and Tim is at youtube.com slash delayed reviews one yeah. right no that's my YouTube that's my oh YouTube. that's your YouTube <laughs> <Damn. Yeah. laughs> um, but yeah all those all those social media uh, things that you want to follow us on are down below in the description don't hesitate to drop a question or ask us anything we're often there online talking if you want to know what I think about uh, Green Inferno let me know if uh, <laughs> I will talk. I'll talk about it. Uh, if you want to know, you know, I just just watch this movie. You want to tell me how much you hate it? Tell me. Love it. 
Um, also, we have uh, we have asked a few weeks ago, or a week ago maybe, we asked uh, Twitter just some topics that you'd like to see in future episodes. Um, rest assured, we will get to all of those questions. Um, so we really appreciate all those questions. Um, just look forward to them in future episodes and keep watching. It's going to we're going to keep changing up the format. It's going to be really entertaining. Um, as always, thank you so much for watching. Um, we'll see you guys next time. See ya.